This is Inside Marketing, brought to you by Dentsu Aegis Network and Irish Times Media Solutions. Hello and welcome to Inside Marketing. I'm joined this week by Vincent Flood, who is Editor-in-Chief of Video Ad News in London. Welcome, Vincent. Thanks very much for having me on. Yeah, and thanks for making the effort to join us. We are in quite strange and unusual times at the moment. And I hope everyone, you know, your friends and family, Vincent, are safe. And also I hope everyone listening that their friends and family are safe. And I hope people are following protocol in terms of social distancing. This is actually our first remote podcast, so I hope it goes well. And apologies to anybody who's listening if the sound is not quite as good as it has when we're in studio. But safety first. We're going to talk about video and the video ad market today and and talk a little bit about that. And in terms of a good place to start, I think we'll kick off with the climate that we're in. In terms of the impact that COVID-19 has on on media and behaviours, what we're seeing is a huge spike in media consumption for trusted channels, TV and radio and video in particular. It's a great place to start. So, Vincent, I'm going to jump to you and just get straight into it. Looking at the current situation we're in with COVID-19, what do you think the likely impact is going to be for TV and video? I think most people I've uh, been speaking to, usually with video, you know, it's a supply constrained market. There tends to be, you know, the demand for quality premium video tends to outstrip the supply. What we're seeing now is the precise opposite. The tables have been turned. Consumptions is at all time high as we're all at home watching TV. However, demand has fallen down just as this huge spike has increased. So across the board, you know, we're seeing disruption on various fronts. Production scale schedules being disrupted for the TV industry. Uh, we've seen the major events, even the Eurovision, the European Championships, uh, the Tokyo Olympics, all postponed. All these things are going to a pretty huge impact for the next couple of quarters. You know, the TV industry will be carrying their blessings that at least things like the European Championships and the Olympics can be repeated, but that's not going to help them in the short term. On, on the buy side then, you know, we've seen product launches postponed, the releases of movies postponed. Most marketers are at a point where they've either paused campaigns or they're re-strategizing in order to reach people. So, you know, certain sectors like out-of-home marketing is suddenly quite irrelevant when there's nobody on the streets anymore. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, the, the initial panic that we've seen over the last couple of weeks is more a reconfiguration period and i think we will start to see spend coming back at age where that says you know uh when times are good you should advertise you know when times are bad you must advertise and i think mm. there's actually real opportunities for brands at the moment the noise level has sort of gone down and sort of brands can sort of penetrate through a little bit more i think it's important for a lot of companies as well to sort of project you know some level of corporate stability at a time during kind of an uncertain time um, and then, you know, the cost of advertising, I think, has dropped, you know, this huge amount of supply. I think there's actually real opportunities for companies to build their brand, even if their product isn't even for, you know, they might not be able to make that sale today. You know, not many mm-hmm. of us are booking holidays at the moment mm-hmm. where, you know, everything's so uncertain. However, I don't see any reason why a high level campaign like, you know, uh, we come to Turkey, mm-hmm. uh, why advertisers like that? I think this is probably a good time to be catching people at scale uh, to build a reputation. And then, you know, uh, once things settle down, the brands that have built up that that sort of brand equity over this period stand to benefit greatly. And this is proven time and time again. This isn't me trying mm-hmm. to be uh, bullish about the future of the industry. Um, there are mm-hmm. countless, countless case studies on this. The companies who build their brands and market themselves well in recessions are the companies that emerge with far more market share than they had uh, going into it. And uh, yeah. so, yeah, I, I, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. Yeah. But it's a difficult time. No, it least. is for, for sure. And I think it is a weird time because there's huge 
huge supply of audience at the moment and demand has just fallen. And I think from my point of view, we've talked to a lot of clients about this. I just think for the moment, with the period of uncertainty, you know, I think brands that are non not well non-essential or maybe even operating in, in the kind of more luxury or discretionary spend thing, I think they're wisely maybe just kind of holding fire a little bit because we're in a period of uncertainty. Um, but for a lot of other things, it's like, you know, life goes on. I think it's about just not being emotionally tone deaf as a brand and, and going out and not understanding what pain or struggles people are going through. But given the turmoil in the market, you know, going into this, the market in, in Ireland, and it's pretty much the same in the UK, was in growth. And when we think about digital, a lot of that growth was coming from video. And you mentioned this before that quite often the problem is that the demand exceeds the supply of inventory. So um, we had Vodafone on a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we were chatting about 5G over the next nine months, the, the rollout of that. And that's going to put a huge amount of, techn- of of bandwidth in place. And, you know, the thinking is we're going to see an explosion in video. So just before we get into it, and we'll talk a little bit more detail about a few areas. But do you expect to see this trend in video, this growth on video on demand and mobile video to continue once we get out of this? And do you see video continuing to go from strength to strength? Yeah, I do. Um, and that's that's not just because I've bet my career on video. Um, but but I, th- I think the opportunities to watch videos, uh, are, yeah, they just keep continuing to grow across the board. I think 5G, as you mentioned, is going to be a sort of huge driver in terms of the way we consume video, uh, more in, in terms of the you know, on-the-go market, or mm-hmm. you, you might have, uh, you might even have linear experiences. So for example, you know, it might be able to sort of flick channels on your mobile in the way that you would on a TV, you know, so that that could be a yeah. sort of new form of, of some casual consumption. For me personally, you know, I think the, the TV screen remains the most exciting part of video. Um, you know, it, it's all very well. You know, short form content is is exciting and interesting. However, I, I do think that, you know, TV, just in terms of hours per day, it eats everything else alive. Even companies like YouTube, who we would associate, you know, as, as being on Online and mobile first, TV is their fastest growing screen uh, and the one they're most excited about going forward. So we will just see an increase in consumption. You sort of wonder where we can even carve out periods of time to to actually watch Mm -hmm. more content. But there is still more time. The only limitation is, do I really want to use my 4G to you know, watch Netflix. I think as data plans and everything else catch up, I can see, yeah, we're just going to watch more. Yeah, massively. Yeah, and the TV was doing quite well at the moment. Well, it is doing quite well at the moment. Um, and although it it does feel like the industry is going into a, a deep sleep for a while, do you think in terms of human behavior, like ratings are flying and particularly here, you know, like RTE or National Broadcaster, they're doing incredibly well because they're trusted and people are really conscious about where they get their their news and their their insight from. And do you think this shift in trend is a short-term respite for TV as a, for the, the traditional broadcasters? Or do you think that... You know, if you're a TV, if you're a broadcaster like an RTE or an ITV, you're kind of thinking maybe people will come back into us and they'll rediscover the role that, you know, linear TV has in society. And it might give them a a more permanent bit of a a more permanent bump in terms of the ratings. Or do you think this is a temporary uh, while we're cocooned a haven back into TV, RTE? Is it short term or long term? 
I think it could be a, a bit of both to give you a, an Irish answer. But you know, I'm not fully sold on the idea that we you know we're going to see these permanent changes as a result of this, and uh, we'll all be living our lives on Zoom or you know doing our own haircuts at home. You know, I think the, most of these changes are temporary. I think one thing that will come out of this is that we'll sort of appreciate the the role that the national broadcasters play. Mm-hmm. I don't see those roles going anywhere. You know, th- things like what the Late Late Show did in Ireland around. COVID or, you know, the political announcements each day. And, you know, these are times when, you know, you tend to, as an Irishman living in London, I'm feeling particularly homesick and I'm feeling the togetherness of of Ireland coming through from mainly the national broadcasters. And I I think people in Ireland will be feeling that. Um, People in the UK have their own equivalents, of course. And I think that uh, those strengths of, of localized content are not going anywhere. I never, mm-hmm. I weren't before all of this. I, I think yeah. that you know there will always be a place for somebody to cater something to each nation individually, yeah. and it, I don't believe that everything will be globalized uh, in the TV world. Yeah, I think it. Yeah, it's become. I know even myself, I've gone back into watching, you know, because news, though, it just shows the importance of the strength of, of TV in terms of, well, there's no sport at the moment, but live sport and news are really important. So it's, again, it's unprecedented times, but I think people are, you know, obviously finding a role. They become a bit more relevant because I think a lot of people would have said RT is slightly irrelevant in terms of my video consumption. And before we get into specific areas, I'm going to keep it a little bit general for the moment. In your experience, who's doing well? Is all growth coming from short form content? Like as Karen O'Kane, your friend puts about YouTube, it's grown like a weed. That's where a lot of the supply is coming from. Or are we seeing continued growth in longer form content? Like is Netflix doing well? Is it kind of stifling off in terms of growth or is it continue to fly ahead in terms of users? Uh, you know, I, I don't, the platforms, you know, as Kieran said, you know, they are indeed growing like a weed. Uh, but they're also seeing more competition, you know, on the platform side of things. It, it's Snapchat are, are, are still around. Uh, TikTok is is flying up into that youth market. And I think the platforms will find it out. I think that each of the platforms are going to find it more and more tough going forward. There seems to be sort of more meaningful competition these days between uh, at the platform level. I think gaming is one of the most interesting growth areas. So, you know, uh, we've seen companies like um, Activision Blizzard, who, you know, they acquired King and they've rolled in the likes of Candy Crush. Mm -hmm. Their ad business is absolutely booming. Um, there's companies like Twitch that focus more on the, the streaming and esports side. YouTube are obviously involved in that. One of the sort of interesting new growth areas, I think, is you know for for gamers where you have that those tier one games, those top tier premium games. Various companies are looking at sort of offering those on as sort of streaming packages, and they, they will be introducing ads in okay. across. You know, you'll be able to sort of go online and play ad funded top tier quality games. So All I think right, that. Yeah. It's going to be a huge, huge like, growth area. Like the sponsorship equivalent of, um, you know, ad ad funded model. So for gaming, that's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, which you know, for 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 kids who often don't have their you know their own money in their pocket, uh, their parents are you know reluctant to be shelling out forty pounds every time for a game. I can see it working particularly well for for a lot of young men, students, yeah. that type of person. Yeah, and it's that value um, exchange in the same way we, we, well, we've forgotten, but the reason why content is free is because it's funded by advertising. It's a necessary evil. Um, yeah. So applying the same model to that. Yeah, it's quite interesting, yeah. Yeah. Overall, I think, you know, the, the sort of, OTT, Connected TV, the, the changes are, uh, the words are, the terminology is always a bit controversial. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
But I, I think that the, the online TV experience is still by far the most exciting area for in, in, mm. in monetary terms, in terms of growth. That's certainly the biggest opportunity. On that model about ad funded, and we, we talked about Netflix a second ago, Netflix model seems, well, I get it, but it seems like it's a missed opportunity for me. They, like they are burning through cash at an alarming rate. And I don't know how sustainable that is. They are still in a growth period. So the, the investment community and the markets are happy with that growth strategy, but it seems to be quite unsustainable, the, the levels of investment they have. And I know they're becoming more profitable, but their business model is pure subs model. And that's quite threatening. I just from the outside in, I don't, I don't necessarily understand why they haven't run a, a twin track approach. So I think Disney is going to be a bigger threat to them than they, than they admit, because I'm not sure what it's like exactly in the UK, but I just think in Ireland, we're, we're nearly at um, subscription fatigue, you know, in terms of the subs that people have. And I just don't yeah. know how many subscriptions the average household can carry or whether people dip into these things quarterly or monthly or whatever. So, but given the growth of subscriptions available and competition and the limited disposable income, it does seem a bit mad to me that Netflix don't operate an ad-funded model, you know, yeah. for free subs. A bit like you're saying about gaming there. So what am I not getting here? Why don't they do this? Why Do you think they will? Do you think they should? I think that they will, but I think what, what's happening with Netflix is they're not running everything on their own terms. Uh, mm. And, you know, I'm sure if we lived in a world where Disney Plus wasn't just launching ad-free, uh, where Amazon weren't encroaching on the market, uh, where as the broadcasters, the national broadcasters become increasingly sophisticated in terms of what they're offering. I, I think Netflix are very keen to sort of retain that value as being an ad-free experience. As for whether consumers want in terms of the number of packages, I can see us all becoming a little bit more promiscuous. Uh, mm. This isn't like pay TV where changing your service would require you to to have somebody plug in a drill through your wall yeah. and bring you don't need your house. Kit. You don't need any new installations or anything like that. Um, you don't. Mm. And then obviously you're binging for a couple of series and then you, you don't return to the platform for a couple of months. So I think what we'll see is, you know, consumers jumping around a lot more, mm-hmm. um, going where the where the best deals are, maybe binging on a few different series and then shutting it down for a couple of months. What we're seeing in terms of monetization models, I, I think there's some really interesting data around what Hulu have done. Um, so for Hulu, they, they they've actually, I mean, they've got, three options. So you can do ad funded only, a hybrid model where you pay a low subscription and a uh, get some ads or or then ad free. For Hulu, you know, that their their revenue per user comes out significantly more. I think it's uh, $15 per month per user that they can make um, off the from the hybrid model where right. they, you know, low subscription, low number of ads, but, you know, uh, but it works out better for Hulu. And so I think in time, all of these services will run ads mm-hmm. as they grow, I, I think, you know, but what we're seeing at the moment is Clash of the Titans battle mm-hmm. going on at the moment. And it, it's just fierce. And it, it's made all the more fierce by the fact that so many of these companies, they're not dependent on advertising mm-hmm. for revenue. You know, Amazon have their huge ecosystem backing them up. Same for Google, Apple, e- even Disney has, you know, supplementary revenue mm-hmm. from theme parks and cruises, uh, mm. neither of which are going particularly well. <laughs> uh, but I think eventually ads will appear on most of these services. Um, there probably will always be a premium tier for, for ad-free experiences. But yeah, th- there's no doubt about it. I, I know that privately you'll get a, a nod and a wink that advertising will come. But right. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, just not the right time. Yeah, just because, I mean, the, the Hulu model sounds like a smart way to do it because 
you know, people who don't want to pay will just pay with, with okay. attention and, and data or whatever. So it sounds like a smart way to me. I've always wondered why they haven't. In terms of trends that we've seen, and you'll know a lot more about this than, than I do, this kind of growth in, in what I'll call the mid-form content. So it's not quite TV length, but it's not quite the super short content. And it's in around the 10, 12 minute area, that type of thing. And there's a, I'll probably get this pronunciation wrong, but but Quibi popping up. Um, yeah. They seem to have a really interesting story here because, you know, it's that midway between disposable short-term content and the, and the TV content, but it's proper storytelling, just 10 to 15 minutes long. And I read that they've actually, they've already, they haven't even launched it and they've sold out of all their advertising by doing a partnership with 10 huge major brands. And I didn't read who they were, but like, that's incredible. Like, so, you know, how have they done that? How have they managed to pull that off? Is this a case of ad execs being sold some magic beans and kind of hoping that they're jumping on the next big thing for youth culture or... Like, is this going to work, do you think? Or what, what can you can you shed any light on, on that as a business? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, with any new launch in the US market, particularly, I mean, you know, 100 million, I think they sold out, you know, in, in the context of the US market, that's actually quite a relatively small amount of money still. Um, and advertisers often do want to be on the, the next big thing. I, I think partly the fact that it's aimed not completely, it's not, you know, it's not like going to be like a YouTube, uh, they're not aiming just at the kid market, but I think mm-hmm. there is hope that this is going to reach those unreachables, you know, the, um, the people who the people who don't watch TV, TV anymore. Just on the, on the Quibi model, uh, I think it just remains to be seen th- this idea of, you know, short form snackable content. Yeah. For me, I 100% recognized the value that that could have in my life where mm-hmm. I'll, I'll get the tube into work in the morning or I used to. And I've tried, tried watching Netflix shows where I tried to watch a long form show and it's just this horrible unsatisfactory experience where yeah. I should better call Saul mm-hmm. after watching 15 minutes I go back to it on the way home and I, I just feel disconnected yeah. um, and, I, and having a solution for that is amazing and, and welcome whether it's something that enough people need Mm-hmm. in their life at scale remains to be seen. I, I sort of really want to see Quibi succeed. You know, I, I love people who, you know, have looked at the market and just think there is a way to do this differently. And mm-hmm. I think with, with TV premium content, we just, we've seen so many, you know, um, Verizon experimented with this before with a, ser- a service called Go90, which sort of fell flat in its face. Mm-hmm. There was some quality content, but it wasn't that, so this top, it wasn't as ambitious as, as Quibi in terms of investment. The, the, the two top execs, you know, Jeffrey Katzenberg and Meg Whitman um, are both incredibly serious, well-connected execs. I mean, right. they, they really are at the top tier in terms of both, you know, uh, technology and in terms of content production. So, I think they're. I think it's due to launch in the US in a week. I think it's April sixth, yeah. and they've made a small pivot in in that it's going to be ninety days free for the okay. you know initially because nobody is com- commuting. People aren't having yeah, yeah. you know l- lunch breaks in yeah, quite the, the same the, the same business way. model seems to be very much for an on the go that kind of commuting audience where you you don't watch half a show and then lose interest so that yeah it's bad time for them to be launching but yeah it is it is it is and uh, you know but but that 90 day window might actually work in their favor if they're giving it to people for free i'm wondering you know is it more this should be a feature of you know something like netflix where they have this content library for snackable content Mm -hmm. or you know is this a product in itself that can scale i think that's the part that i'm slightly yeah 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 
And the market is changing rapidly. That's just one example. And we've seen new entrants. We've seen Facebook and Twitter dabbling content and sports in particular. And we've also seen with Disney like a power shift that think of it like a DTC brand in, in the content space. So cutting that broadcast or platform out and becoming the distributor of their own content and only really major content owners can do that. But this could be, when I think about sports and particularly say the Premier League, this is an interesting area for them to go. So a couple of questions here. Um, I mentioned this earlier on, there has to be a point where households tap out because um, it can't sustain so many subscriptions. But I think, you, I think you're right. I think that's a bit, bit more of a transient thing. They'll dip in and drop one and, you know, drop one off this month and drop, pick another one up next month um, and it's much more fluid. But do you think on the DTC approach from content brands, do you think that's an area that's going to grow or do you think it's, it's probably like very few brands can do that? Like the Disney model of going, we are everything, we are broadcasting, content owner, distributor and all things in between directly to consumers. Yeah, I think you nailed it. There are only certain brands that can really do this. Uh, there is a DTC is very much in vogue. It's, it's quite understandable that we're, we're seeing this, but I think it's going to vary market by market. So um, most markets are very different to the, the US market for, for TV. Uh, in, in the US, you know, people pay insane, crazy money every month for their cable subscription. Um, it's often, you know, well in excess of $100 a month. They're often, they haven't necessarily been serviced particularly well by, by those providers as well so you know the, the idea of cutting the cord is very attractive to a to yes consumer it, whereas in europe it, the european market is, is very very different so mm. you know depending on where you go ireland is probably quite high when it comes to pay tv penetration compared mm. to most in a lot of european markets that you know they just haven't felt the need to have you know even you know companies like sky have, they haven't scaled in, in the same way that they have in the, the uk and ireland um and most people were just getting free to wear tv they're strong public service broadcasters in many of the countries and on the whole pay tv just hasn't been as big a thing mm -hmm. so th there's slightly less incentive to have these sort yeah. of extra services which if you're in a pay tv market are often a workaround for, for, for pay tv often bolt on for for some more affluent people but there is a limit to you know how much people will bundle together so dtc's trend like is here to say mm -hmm. you know in, but i don't think it'll be the the, the only model but, but but i think you know any media content owner you know they need to they, they all recognize the need to widen their distribution network mm -hmm. so even, even though disney plus is, is launching here and will be available on different platforms you know they're still available within the sky tv yeah. uh, ecosystem and you know I, I think any brand you know even if you look outside of media all, there's so much buzz around dtc brands and you know if you take um, the razor companies you've got the likes of uh, harry's where yeah. you know they, they were online only but this is a with this is a new way of doing things you know mm -hmm. you only buy online it's a subscription and then sure enough that now they're in your local supermarket yeah. they're they become brands instead of just dtc brands they they're yeah they they, they reach saturation point and then they need to become mainstream brands yeah, yeah. they grow up they yeah. grow up and I, I think we'll see the same thing with media where yes they will want you know it's highly desirable to have mm -hmm. direct consumer relationships the money comes in straight to you without intermediaries i can understand why that's attractive to people but the reality is in order to boost your distribution it's always better yeah. to partner 
particularly globally. And I think in times we'll see a lot of these apps being pre-bundled. That'll happen a bit further down the line where it becomes a little bit more clear who the winners and losers are. And I think some of the weaker players in the market will sort of realize, hang on a second, we should be yeah. putting these into one package, offering them to a consumer for less and yeah. uh, to sort of, yeah, stay competitive. And think about because sports is obviously quite tight in terms of the, the, the franchise around sports. And I know it's happened in the US, like the NFL pass and that kind of and that kind of access that they give people where they, they take control back of the rights. And when you think about the Premier League, like Sky's business predominantly built on, on the Premier League. Do you think if the Premier would it be? I mean, I don't know what I would advise the Premier League, but I kind of think it's interesting if if not that they'd ask my opinion, but if they were thinking about business development for them, actually, would that be a good place to, to kind of say we will not sell the rights on to all the broadcasters we'll actually distribute ourselves we'll create more content we'll become the, the distributor of that content as well as the because they're a rights holder at the moment and they sell licensing to and broadcast yeah. rights that would be because it's a huge market it's a huge brand the Premier League I think that's worth them considering it, taking it D to C if you will because um, they made the even Amazon when they made that Man City documentary they've so they've access to so many things and that was a great documentary so not even live sports I mean to transcend the live sports and and bring in some you know proper drama and documentary or you know obdocs in terms of the Man City one's a great example or the Sunderland one I think the Premier League I think they could have multiple channels and it could be a brilliant content brand what's your thoughts on that Yeah um I think it really varies it depends on who you're talking to i think their dilemma is really um firstly should they stay in their lane and mm. focus on what what they're good at there's a company called dugout uh, i met a couple of weeks ago actually and and they're doing some really interesting stuff where they're basically helping various football clubs i think most of the premier league teams right. and i think they've got some international clubs as well yeah, I think there is some opportunity. I mean, I think most of the clubs and, and leagues will be, you know, asking themselves, you know, how can they sort of push this forward in a way that they don't sort of destroy their relationships with existing partnerships, that they don't massively sort of get it wrong. Um, mm-hmm. But there's no doubt across the board, we're seeing sports brands taking a much deeper interest in having D2C relationships. For some of them at this, thus far, like, you know, I think most of them haven't been about providing, you know, live coverage of events. Mm-hmm. Um, I think most of them, it's about fan engagement. Again, getting more data on your, on your consumers, you know, providing them with behind the scenes footage yeah. or archive footage. Um, a, a lot of the content is, you know, I, I think it's very much designed for the the super fan rather mm. than you know it can be a little bit naff feels a little bit like pr rather than mm. authentic content which you know i think the independent providers will, will always sort of uh, yeah. beat them on but i think i know i certainly know some of them we interviewed the dallas cowboys who stay up their ott operation and i think they were at a point where you know it was very much test and learn right. and now they're starting to think about monetization you know would life experiences be mm-hmm. you know uh, on the table um again f1 or, or mm-hmm. um a company we've had to speak at a few of our events they've been you know they've, they've hiring some you know really strong industry people you know they've taken people over from sky and everywhere else and i think the ambition is is there from for most of them but the you know how you do it and then you know will it necessarily be 
to your advantage. I mean, on, on the pro side, you know, like I said, you have that first party data, you have that you know uh, direct relationship, you can you know upsell into tickets for for events and everything else, and again, cut out a whole host of mm. other middlemen. But on the flip side, then you know you you have to ask yourself: Do you have the expertise? Can you really roll this out globally and service all those consumers in the way that your existing partners do? You know, yeah. um, you know, Sky have a huge. For, you know, as an example, they, they have a huge operation of mm-hmm. you know, customer management, retention. They know how to manage churn. Yeah. Um, they're also able to sort of pull in people via various different angles. So, you know, you can get the the golf fan will be mm-hmm. promoted. The um, you know it will, will be shown enough for the for the football match that's on that afternoon. You know, yeah, so. Yeah. It, if the Premier League doing that, they would lose that. They would lose a lot of visibility and you're within your own little silo. And yeah, yeah. It, it could be a very, very risky strategy, I think. Well, yeah, because they turn away a lot of broadcasting money that they get. And it, it's never as easy. as it, like some things, it looks easy or obvious from the outside in, but like you're setting yourself up for that. It's a different business altogether, as you said. Maybe it is better for them to, as you said, stay in their lane and, and do what they do and continue to do it well. They're making enough money, yeah. I guess, anyway. We've talked about lots of different models here, from like Netflix and traditional TV and right down to gaming and um, mid-form. The way advertisers connect with audiences through TV and the way we know spot, uh, product placement, sponsorship, do advertisers and agencies need to be thinking about how they engage people, particularly on new platforms in, in different ways now? Or because quite often the agency world is slow to catch up with consumers. So kind of the model that we all know is attach messages to content and away you go and that can be very interruptive for for audiences particularly on on newer platforms do you think have you seen or have you had any thoughts about rethinking the connection model via the medium of of video you know the 30 second spot is great for you know long form content um it's incredibly frustrating to me that creative length is something that we're still talking about all these years for down and we're still running 30 second spots against you know maybe a one minute video or a two minute video where you know it's 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 pretty horrible user experience i think in terms of the interesting new ways that, that people can engage um they're out there but what we're seeing is uh, we did an article recently about you know laziness and inertia uh, within the industry and mm. you know uh, laziness is probably not you know not a very kind term oh, but you know, yeah, but, uh, yeah. but but yeah th- there is there is a certain amount of you know we just this is the way we do it yeah. kind of thinking in, in the industry and you know and that's often at the, the client level as much as anyone else and I, I think often with video that the planning process the, you know there's often a, a TV script first approach where you know okay what's our TV idea okay mm. and they create their 30 second spot and then everything else that comes after that is an afterthought and it becomes extremely difficult to do interesting new things with 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 the technologies that are available i mean just in terms of the some of the things that are that you know i'm seeing i think um shoppable video is something that has Mm -hmm. been you know experimented and trialed with for, for many years and it feels like we're finally starting to see 
large players starting to take it seriously. Um, NBC Universal are doing quite a bit around this in the US. There's a company, Smartser, here in London, in London who um, they're seeing some steady growth. And then, you know, even on the, so so, so the shop of the video will be your, your example of, yeah. you know, you're watching the fashion show and you can finally, you know, buy that dress mm-hmm. directly from video. Um, and I think the, the ways of using this, but again, it just requires um, a bit of investment time, yeah. thinking, experimentation, and um, yeah, th- there's no reason that this, there's nothing holding it back from, from mm-hmm. happening now. It's just a question of... The take Yeah, b- budget allocation, yeah. I think. Um, th- th- there's some really interesting stuff happening around product placement as well, especially around, you know, automating the, the product placement process. So okay, if you yeah. have a if you have a, a TV show and you're watching Coronation Street and in the background there's a billboard, mm-hmm. um, there's companies like uh, Myriad are, are, are one there. London-based in the US, uh, this company called Triple Lift, um, working on the same thing for in OTT environments that they can dynamically replace oh, right, that, okay. that ad with a product, or maybe you know the product, the, the kind of Coke on the table turns into a kind of Pepsi, right, yeah. or there are sort of some of these sort of emerging areas. But we've written so much about innovation over the years, and so you often see, you know, we're still seeing thirty-second spots mm. even in environments lately. So I think that you. Know, what needs to happen? There needs to be a change at yeah. that plan level. I want to just touch on one more thing about the business. And then I'm just going to, if you don't mind, just chat about chat to you about your business for a sec. But on the last point, the market's moving um, programmatic everywhere. And I, I know when I've spoken to broadcasters here, they, they, they're kind of worried about that because they think it's going to drive prices down. And I actually think the potential is that it will give them more value out of the market, out of their TV inventory at the moment. So what's your views on that? Do you think that the TV model as we know it, uh, well, it will eventually move to programmatic, but how complicated is that change? It's, it's probably a big infrastructural change for the, for the TV stations as we know them, the, the more traditional broadcasters. But as that world moves to programmatic, you know, huge opportunities. Do you think that'll happen anytime soon? The likes of... ITV and even Hornar or RTE? Um, I think it will in some form. I mean, it won't be programmatic as we understand it in, mm-hmm. in digital advertising where, you know, where you can just jump on your DSP and buy a load of random impressions. And, you know, I, I, it's not going to be that sort of model. There's various things holding the broadcasters back from doing that. And I think, you know, the main things are, you know, you've got things like... Um, you know, regulation, you know, you, you can't show certain types of ads mm-hmm. within sort of TV content to, you know, uh, children, for example, or, yeah. you know, it, there are much, it, it's much more tightly controlled. It's much more, a much more mature industry from a regulatory perspective. Um, it, it's also the infrastructure is considerably more complicated where sometimes TV is being delivered across, you know, a set top box mm-hmm. or it might be IPTV or it might mm-hmm. be, you know, just in a regular OTT environment, um, and all of which creates a huge amount of technological fragmentation, which um, there are solutions out there, um, but it requires um, a huge amount of investment. Right. And then, and then even then, I remember somebody from RTU telling me that, you know, when, you know, you're talking about the monetization of OTT inventory, you know, significant parts of the country, I, I'm, this is a few years ago, but yeah. I'm not sure whether it's changed, still don't get fast enough broadband in yeah. order to watch OTT content. So, mm. you know, you're only looking at certain parts of their market and, you know, is that really worth the sort of extra hassle? What, what we are seeing is, you know, uh, more and more walled gardens springing up and these being sort of tightly controlled and, you know, uh, brands and advertisers are increasingly able to bring their own first party data to the table and then to tap into the 
data that's owned by, you know, uh, and in the UK, for example, it'd be Sky or ITV mm-hmm. or, and yeah, I'm being able to sort of buy into that walls garden. Um, but, but yeah, it, it won't be anything like the way programmatic exists in digital, right. but there will be some level of automation. There'll be some level uh, of light data. version. There will. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and a privacy compliant yeah, environment that's sort of uh, well lit, yeah. independently measured. And I, I think, you know, we'll probably have more value than a lot of digital platforms to, to advertisers. Right. And um, we're just going to change direction a little bit, just going to talk about you and your business. So what's your background? How did you start off in your career? What were you, were you working on um, different sides of the industry, client side, or how did you get to where you are today? And how did you find yourself in London doing what you do today? I came over to London originally to do a master's right. in environmental law and policy and uh, came down, worked with Greenpeace for a bit, decided I wanted to be a journalist. Then I started getting into the, it was around the period of the whole web 2.0 stuff. So blogging was kicking off. Podcasts, well, they started to exist. I wouldn't say they were kicking off in the way they are now. But but yeah, so I, I sort of I had a, a, a business working mainly with charities. I was doing, we were doing video production, website, podcasts, and um a friend of mine from from Dublin who had been sent over here with a company called DoubleClick, who were actually acquired by Google. Um, He was getting itchy feet uh, and wanted to sort of leave Google. This was around when programmatic was kicking off. And uh, we we sort of played around with a few ideas. I got up to speed with the business. um, And then we had a third business partner. Opportunities came to various people in that period. And I was left understanding this world and then understanding how to create media so i i yeah started yeah. video ad news and yeah so over the yeah we've sort of built up a sort of portfolio of events so we've got new video frontiers which is our flagship event in london okay. we do these uh, rise executive events yeah we, we sort of do those around europe for more for the just the top tier of the industry right. um but obviously the uh, circumstances have thrown our uh, events business yeah. <laughs> out the window in the short term we do have do a plenty penciled in for q3 and q4 but we also then we, we produce guides and online content for various partners as well so, so is the business model predominantly event-based or is it i'd say pretty much every trade publication their core business is events right. uh so all scrambling around however yeah we do produce things like video and ott advertising guide which is um various different companies are, okay. are involved in, in putting that together we're also sort of producing research now so yeah we're sort of broadening our yeah uh, we're broadening out our business and i actually think that this virus could be good for us it's pushing us into areas that things that we knew we should be doing right. but weren't, weren't making the best of before and uh, it's early days but the, the, my feeling is that it'll, it'll be good for us as a business but um, I've also got another sort of side project on the go which uh, is focused on you know a sort of new mobile messaging communication okay. um, called I don't know if you're familiar with rich communication services but uh, it's basically the, it's the next generation of SMS hmm. so it, it's being sort of it's it's Google. Google have built the technology. All of the uh, carriers are sort of working on it. So all the all the various we have the O2, Vodafone, yeah. they're they're all involved. Um, so the the company is called Affinity, A F I N E T I, not. And basically, what we want to do is to, if you look at e-commerce today, it's a it's quite a fragmented experience from a communications perspective. So you'll buy a product from an app, 
then you'll you know uh, get something sent to your email then you will get you know an sms from the delivery company and all those different parts are mm -hmm. completely all over the place and all over the web mm -hmm. so R rcs i mean amongst lots of other different things that it does if you give, take an example of a, an e-commerce transaction you might you might even discover the product within your rcs app right yeah. um you will you might interact with with a salesperson they might refer to be able to send you or it could be a, a chatbot as well that they might be able to you know uh, recommend this product okay you want a blue shirt there's a blue shirt do you want trousers to go with that shirt yes mm. and then you can do this within the messaging app and then uh, complete the payment then when you get the message from the delivery company that will all be within the same thread the same platform, so, yeah. yeah so the whole experience it, it just unifies an awful lot of different things and, and ties them all into in, into one place Thank so you. yeah for me it's probably the most exciting technology i've seen in, in quite a while in terms of changing how, how we're doing business online are you live with that or is it when are you plan to roll that yeah out? yeah our, our, our we will roll that out in about two weeks time okay. and yeah uh, i've sort of working with somebody one of the people who's been sort of pioneering this uh one of the major telcos is involved right. and we're going to right. sort of yeah value that out for focus mainly on the brand uh and agency market to begin with and the book there's also uh, broadcasters can make use of it through you know, things like competitions, for example, right. or whatever else. Yeah, right. Sounds interesting. Well, best to look with that. We're gone over time, but I just lost track of time because I was so interested in what we were talking about. I didn't realize I'd have so many questions about video, and it's such an interesting and rapidly changing topic. So I really enjoyed that. So thank you, uh, thanks Vincent Flood for coming on and joining me today and making the effort. I appreciate it and bearing with me while I got my technology sorted. Thanks a million. Thanks for having me. Cheers. No problem. And finally, if people want to find out a little bit more about your company, where can they do that? Do you want to give us a link of any, where can they find out? So uh, Video Ad News is our uh, site today. So it's videoadnews.com. Then uh, for Affinity, it's A-F-I-N-E-T-I.com. Okay, Vincent, thank you very much. Stay safe. I hope everyone, you know, is safe. And thanks again for joining me. My thanks to Andrea, who's on sound, and our partners in the Irish Times Media Solutions. Stay safe, everyone. Thanks, Vinny. See you later. Cheers. This is Inside Marketing, brought to you by Dentsu Aegis Network and Irish Times Media Solutions.